0: Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the M&M Hockey Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Alex Metzger. Unfortunately, Chase could not join me today. He has some other stuff on the go. However, in his place, Ian Tulloch was nice enough to join me. Ian, thanks for coming on.
1: Hey, anytime, man. Always glad to hop on and talk some hockey.
0: Uh, so if you guys don't know Ian, he is the host of the Leafs Geek Podcast as well as a contributor at The Athletic Toronto, uh, Ian has come become one of my favorite writers very quickly, and as a Sens fan, I, his Leafs Geek podcast is still one of my most listened to every week. It's one of the first ones I try to listen to, uh, so I'm very excited to have him on. We're going to break down some of the stuff uh, before the trade deadline. Chase and I are hoping to have one an episode coming out right after the trade deadline, but I figured we should do a bit of a preview. So, with that being said, we had one trade today, and it was the Boston Bruins acquiring... Charlie Coyle for, oh man, see, I'm already. Ryan Donato
1: in a fifth, I believe. Yes,
0: thank you. Ian, what do you think of this trade?
1: So I've been one of Ryan Donato's biggest fans over the last little bit. He's kind of like my Boston Bruins, Travis Dermott. I just, for the longest time, I didn't understand why he was playing so low in the lineup. And he was getting healthy scratched in the playoffs. And as a Leafs fan, I loved it. Because I was just like, okay, Leafs are going to scratch Andreas Janssen. Boston's following suit by scratching Ryan Donato. Who's going to? Who's going to scratch another good player in this series? But uh, he was struggling a little bit this season. He's 22 years old, so they sent him down to the AHL. But I still think that there's some upside there. So I wouldn't have cut bait on a player that good that young. But I understand why they did it. They clearly feel like they're falling a little bit behind here with Toronto and Tampa Bay in their division. I know they've gone on a bit of a run lately, but if you look at their forward depth, I mean, the center and the wing depth just isn't where it was last year, especially when you look at the production that the Fords have been giving them. I'm a big DeBrusque fan. I'm a big Heinen fan. But they've kind of struggled relative to what they did last year. So it makes sense from Boston's perspective. Just if I were in their shoes, I would have swung a bit higher and gone for someone if, like, Artemi Panarin's available. I would like to think that you could have paid a similar price and got a much better player. But, I mean, Charlie Coyle's fine. He's a middle-six player. There are flashes of brilliance. He, he plays that quote-unquote heavy game that I'm sure Boston will love. But I, I don't think it was a it was a home run. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't think it was anything of that regard. But I like it. I understand it. I just thought that they could have got a better player than, than him.
0: Yeah, I would totally agree with that. I, I do like Coyle a lot. I mean, a lot of his underlings are pretty solid. Uh, as you said... I think Donato still has something to give, and I, I do like the return if I'm Minnesota. You know, they're obviously trying to shake it up. Uh, they, they've already... They haven't come out and said they're sellers, but I think it's pretty obvious that they're sellers at this deadline now. They're in a free fall, and this core just has truly never been good enough to actually get the, the get it done in terms of a cup. So, you know, they sell off. They get a nice young piece in Donato, as you said. And, uh, yeah, for Boston, I, I kind of wonder if they're not done. Um But I would have liked them, I think, to acquire maybe a defenseman and then swing big at a winger or something, as you said. However, you know, Coyle's not the worst player in the world. Uh, I don't think, you know, it's not like they actively made their team worse like we've seen a team like Nashville do in the past couple weeks. So I don't know. I think it's fine. But yeah, as you said, I I definitely think they probably could have done better.
1: Yeah, I'm thinking like a Zuccarello, a Nyquist. I don't know how much you would have had to pay to get a Chris Kreider, but someone of that caliber, I feel like, really would have helped their scoring. I feel like Charlie Coyle helps them drive play, will help them get into the offensive zone more often, but they've been really struggling to get secondary scoring from their second and third lines. It's resulted in them sometimes splitting up the big three up front. So, as a Leafs fan, I mean, yeah, I'm I'm glad that this means they're probably not going to swing big on Panarin, but... If I'm, a, if I'm a Boston fan, uh, I'm feeling all right about the trade, just a
0: little underwhelmed considering what there were rumors about over the last couple weeks. Yeah, I would totally agree with that. I think even uh, the other day a rumor came out pretty much saying that uh, Boston is willing and will be spending the assets to make themselves into a uh, quote-unquote true contender or whatever to compete with the, the two big teams in their division in Tampa and Toronto. And if this is the move that they're talking about, I'm not... I don't agree that this is maybe the hype that it was supposed to be, but at the same time, who knows, maybe they're still open to looking for some more stuff if they really want to go all in. Uh, this core is getting older. Uh, Bergeron is still amazing, but he's 33 years old. Marshawn's 30. You know, you have Backus at 34, who was under contract for two more seasons after this one. Same with Krejci at 32. Krug, Tori Krug already. He's already 27. It feels like he's still 24 in my mind. Um,
1: he still plays
0: like it. Yeah, exactly. So he, you know, this the score is getting older. Maybe this is the year they want to say, all right, let's go all in. Uh You know, that seems like a bit of a bold choice, but at the same time, what the quote is, anything can happen, I guess, in the playoffs. Uh, I guess from there we can kind of look at, we'll stay in the East and just look at the division. So you have the Tampa Bay Lightning at 96 points through 61 games, just an absolutely insane pace. I think they're still on a re- uh, pace to break, the 96 Detroit Red Wings uh, point totals, which is the highest we've seen in the past 20-something years. What do you think they should add, if anything? Because I've already seen the argument on Twitter that um, people, that Tampa shouldn't add anything because they're already good enough. Do you agree with that? I mean, I like to think that any team can get better, and obviously they've
1: been scoring at a ridiculous pace. I mean, they're on pace to, I think, score over 300 goals for the first time since Washington did it back in 2009. Their forwards up front are just ridiculous. Their power play's been on a tear. And they also they also have a bunch of great defensemen. They have Hedman, Sergeyev, McDonough, Anton Strauman. The one interesting thing is that Dan Girardi's been getting a lot of minutes for them this year. And I don't think that's ideal on a cup contender. It kind of reminds me of what Toronto's doing with Ron Hainsey right now. So maybe you look to see if there's a defenseman you can get. I mean, Nick Jensen's available. There's some other defensemen out there. The thing with Tampa Bay is that they can't afford to bring anyone on with terms because they're going to be in a cap bind this summer when they try to re-sign Braden Point. So they can't bring on someone who has an extra year on their deal. They can only acquire a pending UFA. On defense, Nick Jensen's the only right-handed one who makes any sense. If I'm looking at left-handed D, I mean, are there any names out there that you really like?
0: I mean, not off the top of my head, and especially not... Like, I'm sure you could probably find a third-pair guy out there somewhere, but, you know, you got Hedman and McDonough on the left side, and Sergeyev probably, you know, I don't know if Sergeyev's playing right, but he's listed as a lefty on Cap friendly. That's a pretty good three right there to have.
1: Yeah, I mean, Adam McQuaid is apparently going to be the next great (laughs) Maple Leaf, so he's, he's off the table, but yeah Uh, yeah for me nick jensen just makes sense to a lot of teams i think he's a really underrated defenseman in the league he reminds me a lot of michael kempney last year when he was added to washington and just really helped solidify their top four i think whichever team gets nick jensen i hope it's the leafs I, i think they'll be very happy with the player that they get but yeah if you're tampa bay it's hard you don't really need to add a forward because your power play is fine five on five you seem to have the best top nine in hockey I mean, maybe you could look to add someone like Michael Furland, who gives you that, that little bit of that element that you're missing. Maybe Zuccarello or Nyquist, just to make you even that more that much more stacked offensively. I don't know. I mean, can you imagine if
0: this team added Panarin just for good measure? Just to add another superstar for fun? Yeah, or like someone like Mark Stone or even a Matt Duchesne or something like that, and you, you bump Steven Stamkos to the wing. Like, that would just be insane. The thing... so it, it, I definitely get why some Tampa fans are cautious. I mean, this team is still... This team is getting older as well. You know, goes 29, uh, Miller's 25, Johnson's 28. Uh, so you're getting a little older. Hedman's 28, obviously. But so the argument is this team is still in a pretty good spot to contend for a couple more years yet, for sure. So it's do you want a mortgage to go all in on one year and maybe risk not being quite as good in future years? Or do you want to just you already have the best team in the league or one of the best teams in the league? Point wise, you're by far the best you just go make maybe some small adjustments and go with this team? And I think it's a good debate either way. What I would like to see Tampa do, I think, uh, this deadline, or maybe even this summer, mm-hmm. is try and off- offload that Ryan Callahan contract. Uh, something I was always really interested in, and this will never happen because Melnick is way too cheap, I think. But getting Ryan Callahan to Ottawa, uh, Ottawa even, even worse uh, or even better for Tampa is flipping him for like, a stone, but then obviously you add a ton of assets. Now there's some problems with that. He's got a no move clause or no trade clause and I, I think Ottawa would almost definitely be on that list. Um but you know I think that kind of deal makes all the sense for both teams in terms Tampa unloads a contract that they don't really like. I think another one is it the plot contract that's not very good. I think he's got three more years.
1: At five point three million. I mean it's not ideal. He's a good player, but considering some of the cap constraints they're gonna have, yeah, it's probably not an ideal one. And it's funny. Tyler Johnson, it's similar. Great player, but do you wanna be paying him five million dollars for the next couple of years? It's a question you have to ask yourself. Same with someone like Andre Calorin making four point four five.
0: Yeah, so I think if you try and like offload one of those contracts, and maybe even if you're really worth uh, or wanting to Pay a big price and get in another big piece with that, where you can use the cap space this year that you cleared. Get a rental, let the rental walk, and then you have money to actually find and to re-sign uh, Braden Point this summer. I think that could make all the sense in the world. It doesn't even have to be Ottawa. Uh, we'll get into Ottawa in a little bit once we get to the trade board. But I think you know, with Ottawa, I if they trade their big guys, I don't really. I see them struggling to hit the floor next year. that's why
1: I think it makes a lot of sense for them to bring in someone on a bad contract and get more assets in return. It's kind of like buying uh, using your cap space, you know, buying draft picks or one of my favorite trades the last few years is what Carolina did to get Tevo Teravainen out of uh, Chicago. They took on the Brian Bickle contract. They got a cost controlled asset. And now he's
0: producing like a first line winger. It was just a really smart trade at the time. Exactly. and that's I think how a lot of teams who are trying to rebuild should be using their cap space. and obviously you've got to be careful because you don't want to be taking guys on who have five or six years left on their deal because that'll Nikita hurt you Zaitsev, baby. <laughs> Exactly because that'll hurt you when you're trying to be good as well. but if you can help out a team that is right up against the cap and has a bad contract with one or two years left, you could help hit the floor. Uh, they're usually still at least some kind of a roster player. And then you also get an asset back for that. And I think that just makes all the sense in the world. Like, even to a lesser extent to the Vinan one, uh, what Montreal did with uh, Steve Mason this past summer. The Jets traded him Steve Mason, I think a pick, and Joel Armia. And Joel Armia's been a fine bottom player for them. I
1: want to say they got multiple picks out of that trade. They were late round, like mid-to-late round picks, but I think they got two bullets in the chamber.
0: They definitely got a fourth, I believe. Was it a fourth and a fifth, maybe?
1: Something like that. Yeah,
0: but and so that's just that's a good use of your cap space. You know, they have the cap space; they know they're not going to need it f- right away, so they bought out Steve Mason. Uh, I don't even know what it cap carries, but it's not too heavy. But uh, Winnipeg needed it off their books, and they got an asset for that or a couple assets.
1: And they're going to need to do the same thing this off season with Dimitri Kulikov because they have a bunch of RFA's this off season. It's going to be crazy. They have Struba's an RFA, Kyle Connor's an RFA. That guy Patrick Lane is an RFA. Um, Adam Lowry is not an RFA He's been signed But Andrew Kopp is an RFA They have a lot of guys Who are, are going to be uh, you know, Potentially uh, offer sheet threats this summer So they'd love to get rid of that Dmitry Kulikov contract It's got only one more year on it At $4.3 That's a perfect contract for a team like Ottawa To take on If it means getting a young asset Or some draft picks I mean, you have cap space And it's funny It's going to be
0: hard for you to spend it all So you might as well take on some salary And get some assets in return yeah, I would totally agree with that, and uh, yeah, to the Winnipeg point, I remember the time of the signing, that, that Brian Little deal looks worse and worse every day in terms when of... But he's healthy, he's good, it's just, it's like
1: Joffrey Lupo, the poor guy can't stay healthy.
0: Yeah, and I mean, even just like, you know, I don't really, he's a fine player, it's just, you would probably want to use that five point, three million dollars in cap space on one of those said RFAs over the summer, right? And... You know, I, I, maybe they end up moving a guy like Nick Patan if they try and go for uh, a guy like Mark Stone or, God forbid, Artemi Panarin. That could really make this team look uh, very, very interesting. I don't know if those guys are looking to sign up to play uh, eight years or seven years under a Eugene Melnick's reign. <laughs> or, yeah. That, no, but, yeah. So, I mean, like, if, if Winnipeg moves uh, Nick Patan or someone like that, uh, they said Jack Roslovic's untouchable uh, from the reports that I've heard anyways, but... You know, uh, maybe they won't have to sign quite as many RFAs this summer, but you really think that they probably want some of that cap space going forward, not in Brian Little, and that'll be an interesting uh, deal, how they try and treat that, because he's got 5.3 almost for five more years after this one, and that, that's, that's going to be a big hit.
1: That deal reminds me of a lot of the uh, regrettable unrestricted free agent signings are, you know, the uh, what Wayne Simmons is going to sign for this offseason, the Milan Lucic contract, the Louis Erickson contract, the Andrew Ladd contract. It's okay for you to sign superstars in free agency like John Tavares or Zdeno Chara, Kovalchuk, Stamkos. You know, those, those are players that you can afford to overpay a little bit. But when you overpay the middle class, it really messes up your roster construction.
0: Yeah, for sure. And it's... It's so interesting because you kind of ask yourself, how many times are we going to see this? Like, it just, it feels like every year someone else does it, and the year after it just ends up not working, or two years after, and then they just go, oh, well, how could we ever see that happening? It's like, well, people saw that happening at the time, you just didn't listen to them. Um, I mean,
1: you like to think that it's going to happen soon. I want to think this next crop of RFAs are going to get paid so much money that it's going to force teams to pay some of their mid-tier
0: players a lot less money and make some smarter decisions uh, along the periphery of the roster. Uh, Yeah, I would totally agree with that. Uh, Going forward, I guess, we'll take a look at Toronto. I wanted to hit the big three in the Atlantic, and Toronto is obviously the team that you watch, you cheer for, and cover. Uh, What do you want to see Toronto do at the deadline?
1: Well, Toronto's got Morgan Riley paired with Ron Hainsey, so I think they need to go after a, a top-pairing defenseman. Someone
0: like a, a Jake Muzzin, I think, would make a lot of sense for this team. I think he could definitely help. You know, Mo- moving Hainsey down might help.
1: <laughs> oh, my God. It's the money ball problem, isn't it? It's the it's the play Haddeberg, not Pena. And uh, I got to think that Kyle Dubis is really frustrated behind the scenes. And I'm wondering if he trades Hainsey... And I'm wondering if it's like in a package for like Nick Jensen or Radko Gudis or insert name at right D. But I feel like if Babcock keeps playing Hainsey and Riley together in the top pair, I think there's going to be two more games before the trade deadline, maybe three. If Hainsy and Riley is still a thing, I think you have to trade away Hainsy just to save Babcock from himself. But you have to make it look like it's a buy. You can't be trading Hainsey for a sixth round pick and then telling your team that it's a positive because... Even though it's true, they won't actually believe you, so I think you need to go after someone, preferably not Adam McQuaid, but uh, for the least, I think someone like Nick Jensen would make a lot of sense, Radko Gudis, Mark Pisik, really anyone other than Ron Hainsey, but Nick Jensen would be my personal choice.
0: Yeah, I would definitely agree with that, and uh, it it was weird because when the Muzzin trade happened, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but I'm pretty sure Ron Hainsey started playing with Dermott on that third pair for the first couple games, No. It was about two or three games, and then Muzzin had one really bad
1: game, and then he broke up the pairing and hasn't put him back together since. Yeah, and
0: I'm one of the most I think avid Mike Babcock defenders, who's not a Leafs fan, and I, I've defended him to Leafs fans all the time. This is one that just it always puzzles me that he. You know, every coach has this. If you think that your coach is the only guy who plays one certain or two certain players way higher than they should be, look around the league. Everyone Dan does. Dan
1: Girardi's been on the top pairing all year in Tampa Bay. It doesn't make any sense.
0: <laughs> exactly. So the Ron Hainsy thing, it doesn't make. But like just his fa- the fact that uh, he doesn't even try to look for more minutes for Travis Travis Dern- Dermott. And obviously, anyone who knows you knows you're probably his biggest fan. Basically, his agent. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it just it's one of those things where. I don't know what you have to do if you're someone like Dermott, or even like if you're Dubas, you know, you, you go out, you said, okay, I got this guy who, yes, he's not a right-handed defenseman, but we now have three really good left hand or four really good left hand defensemen, and one of those guys can definitely play on the right hand. Why are you still using Ron Hainsey on the top pair so many minutes a night?
1: It's frustrating. I think if we were to try to think about it, Rationally, I think Babcock's uh, opinion is that you need to have the best puck mover on their strong side and that Riley, Gardner, and Muzzin are not comfortable moving over to their offside. So he has Hainsey on his offside and he has Dermott on their offside. And I think he's of the opinion that Hainsey is someone you can trust defensively and Riley is more of a puck mover, so he wants to have those two together instead of a Riley-Dermott pairing or instead of a a Gardner-Riley pairing or a Riley-Muzzin pairing. I personally disagree with him. I think there are a lot of people who disagree with him, and I, I think the GM's going to disagree with him and, and make a, a trade to try to force his hand. We'll see what happens, but if, if it's Wednesday night right now and we're going to make a prediction as to what's going to happen in the next five days, I think that Hainsey is traded out and there's some kind of right defenseman that's brought in to try to solve the situation.
0: Yeah, I would. Uh, I wouldn't be shocked if that happened. I think it's weird because I think what Mike Babcock says, I can kind of understand what he's saying, but I think he's using it way too uh, too much of a degree. I think that Hainsey does still provide some value for some teams. I think there is uh, some situations where he is an okay defensive player. You know, if you want him in the last minute of a game defending a one-goal lead instead of Jake Gardner, I will totally understand that. It's for the other times, or, you know, on the PK, I think Hainsey's still a fine PKer. But he shouldn't be playing so much at 5v5, and I don't care if the other guys are uncomfortable on their offside. They're still better than him. So it yeah, doesn't... like I'm, I look at Nate Schmidt in Vegas,
1: you know, he's excellent on his edges, so he's able to shift his body a lot easier on his wrong side. He plays on the top pairing on his wrong side. And even though he's probably a bit uncomfortable with it, he finds a way to make it work because he's an extremely talented player. I think you could say the same thing about a Morgan Riley or a Travis Derby. You know, They can figure it out because they're super talented hockey players. At 5 and 5 it's funny. I think coaches have a tendency to really value players who are strong defensively and don't uh, allow many goals against. But I would ask, I mean, how many goals for is Ron Hainsey helping you generate? Is the net differential better? As of right now... His on-ice goal differential is good, but the shot metrics and the scoring chance metrics are all negative, and it makes me think that he's just riding a high on-ice shooting percentage, and it's it's not sustainable moving forward. So part of me understands why Babcock is saying, hey, descriptively, this is working, but predictively, I don't think it's likely to continue to work. So I'd like to see them shake things up, but I don't think Babcock will, so we'll, we'll see if someone forces his hand.
0: Yeah, totally. Uh We'll go quickly on some of the other teams that are in the East, just a a minute or two on each team. And speaking of unsustainability, let's get to the New York Islanders. First of all, do you think this is a sustainable thing for them to be playing? First in the Metro, 76 points through 58 games. I think they're fifth in the league or something like that. Do you think this is something that will continue long-term?
1: And I think both their goalies, as of right now, have the best goals saved above average uh, per 60, if you look at some of the more advanced goalie metrics, so... I mean, obviously, when you look at stuff like PDO, it's probably not sustainable. It's just realistically, if you're getting outshot and outchanced, it's, it's not the greatest thing in the world. But their expected goals against numbers are solid. And part of me just wants to take coaching into account and think of the fact that when they were under Doug White, you could watch them play and notice that in defensive zone... Nothing good was happening at all. And now when Barry Trotz is coaching them, you can watch them defensively. There's a lot more structure. So I think that plays into, say, percentage a lot more than we're willing to admit in kind of the nerd world. I don't think it's to the extent that he should have the two best goalies in the league. I don't think it's that strong. But I think there's a healthy media between where they actually are in the standings and what their Corsi numbers are right now. I want to say they're, they're somewhere in between. I want to
0: say they're close to a league average team. I would agree with that. And I think even when you look at their advanced stats, I mean, at the beginning of the year, they were very near the bottom, like 31st, 20, 28th or whatever. You know, now I haven't looked in a week or two. Last time I looked, I think they were 18th in uh, expected goals and around 20th in Corsi. That's not horrible at all. And I think when you when you talked about with the coaching change and defensiveness, you definitely can see an impact there. What do you think this team should do at the deadline? Do you think they should be a buyer? Do you think they should, you know, buy small and just try and see if they can win a round or two in the playoffs? Or do you think they should just leave it as it is, they're playing with house money and that's all?
1: See, if I'm running the team, I'm probably thinking this is unsustainable and the team's going to drop off next season and and maybe miss the playoffs, so I don't want to give away future assets, but... If I'm thinking like they're probably thinking, I'm thinking, oh my god, after losing John Tavares, our fans were really frustrated, and now we're on this big run right now. Let's see if we can win a playoff series. Could you imagine if Toronto slips down to the wild card, and all of a sudden we're facing them in the first round? If we can beat the Leafs in the first round, that'll be the greatest thing in history for our franchise. So I can understand it to a certain degree. Um, If they're buying, you're probably looking to add some scoring talent, I think, because I mean, defensively, you got to think you're all right right now with your save percentage being highest in the league. So, I don't know, maybe you look to, to bring in some scoring talent on the wing like uh, Zuccarello or, uh, or uh, I don't know if Kevin Hayes is available. I know he's a center. Gustav Nyquist. There, there are some names out there they could target.
0: Yeah, you don't want to make a big uh, acquisition. I think it was Down Goes Brown who made this reference on Puck Soup the other week. He said they reminded him, him of the 2017 Ottawa Senators, but better. Yep. And I would definitely agree with that. I don't think that their underlying numbers are near as bad as Otto's was in 2017. But they do kind of give off the same vibe where, you know, they're kind of playing off some really good goaltending. It's some of that's coaching and, you know, the style they're playing. But they're also just, you know, shooting a bit higher than maybe you would expect. And what they definitely shouldn't be doing is going and giving up their first round pick for this year or next year. I think that would be a very... Very bad idea. They should just
1: keep... do made a really interesting point, that if you're a team who's making a trade with them, you want their 2020 first-round pick, because they're probably going to drop off a lot next year.
0: Yeah, and that's something I would... I think Chase and I talked about maybe two or... It was a while ago, probably three or four months ago on the podcast. I kind of said that I wonder if teams in the future will kind of look at this Ottawa situation and maybe start targeting teams' future uh, first-round picks instead of going for this year's. Hey, how about next year? So then you can keep it and try and convince a team to keep their their pick and get a prospect this year. Also, when do teams get smart
1: and finally lottery protect picks like they do in the NBA? I, like,
0: I think now it'll probably you have to assume with after
1: all, Quinn Hughes goes first overall to Colorado. Yeah, like least. you
0: have to assume with this <laughs> looking like it could be a very very good chance at a uh, top three pick at the very least. Um, you would start thinking that they could see. I mean, even with the St. Louis pick that they sent for Ryan O'Reilly, they had that top 10 protected, and we'll get in St. Louis in just a minute here. That it looks like they won't need to, but they'd start to protect that. I think it'll become uh, more common, especially as you trade picks farther out. I think for teams, you know, obviously, like, if Tampa's given up their first rounder or Winnipeg's given up their first rounder this year, they don't need the lottery to protect that. They know they're not missing the playoffs. But if you're trading your first round pick in, say, the summer or... In October, I, I definitely think teams will start to look the lottery, to protect them,
1: or even just top three, protect it. Because out of that, like maybe your superstar gets hurt, like Steven Stamkos did that one year, and all of a sudden Tampa's in the lottery. You're fine giving up a pick in the the early teens, but if you're giving up a pick in the top three, that's that's terrifying, right? So that's the smart thing to do, and I think teams would easily say, yeah, okay, fine. If you want a top three, protect it. That's fine by by, by us. No worries. But it's just something all teams should be doing just to protect themselves from something terrifying happening
0: like we've seen in Ottawa. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. Okay, um, looking at the East here, I think we will skip over Washington and Pittsburgh. I think there's probably a little, some moves for them to make. They're kind of in the same situation where they're near in the end of a cup window, but they still probably have the means that they could go all in this year if they want to try and make a big splash. Montreal
1: needs Ryan Reeves. To yeah,
0: out there. yeah. Uh Montreal's another team that I don't think they're gonna do too much. What about Columbus? So they got Artemi Panarin and Sergei Bobrovsky. Do you see them selling both of them? Do you see them flipping or selling Panarin and flipping those assets for something that can help them try and win now? Or do you think the best move for Columbus is to sell both of them and just try and get futures and see where it goes?
1: I was about to make the joke that Columbus could really use a star player who's phenomenal at getting into the zone with possession and making plays, maybe like an Artemi Panarin. But <laughs> it's funny—we always make this joke about like how teams who are in the playoffs and like looking to sell a player, it's like, hmm, maybe they should be looking to add that kind of player. And I know Down Goes Brown made a similar point on the Puck Soup podcast that we're going to just keep referencing, I guess. Here is <laughs> that. I mean, even if Columbus isn't, in your opinion, a team that is going to win the Stanley Cup this year. This is probably the best team they've had as a franchise. And, and you look at the talent on their roster. If everything goes right, they could win a couple of rounds. And th- that has value as a franchise. So even though I understand the desire to, okay, Panarin said he's going to leave. Bobrovsky said he's going to leave. Let's, let's acquire as many future assets as we can. I can understand the desire to just go for it and see where it takes us. Maybe if everything goes right, we make it to a conference final. And that's the, the most fun ride our fans have ever been on. We make more fans as a result, and we make more money as a franchise. I understand it. If I was going to sell Panarin, I'd like to think that I could get him for a king's ransom. I know that the the demand that Ottawa said that they're they're giving up Stone for. Apparently, they want four pieces in that trade. You know, multiple uh, first round picks and a, uh, you know a level prospect. I don't think anyone's going to give up that for Stone or, or Panarin, as, as great as I think those players are, but. If I'm Columbus, I'm saying that I don't want to trade Panarin, and I see what teams are willing to offer it for him, and and if it's an offer that blows me out of the water, I definitely have to consider it.
0: Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. It's such a tough uh, situation, because they've never even won a playoff round, and so, you know, I think if most teams... It's weird, because in theory, Columbus should be better than they are, I think, right now. Coming into the season... I think with Panarin and Bobrovsky, I I would have had them at for sure a top three Metro team. And they're kind of right there with Pittsburgh and Washington and even the Islanders right now. But it wouldn't have shocked me if they were one of the top two Metro teams uh, coming into the year. And they've just kind of been disappointing. I think this team still does have the talent to at least win a round or two. Like, if you look right now, uh, right now they'd be matched up with Tampa. I'm not favoring them over Tampa, obviously. But if they could get up to that, uh, the metro spots, they could either be uh, against Washington, or if they get up to the first wild card, the Islanders, or even Pittsburgh. I would probably favor Columbus in two of those three series.
1: And another thing, i be willing to trade Bobrovsky I didn't bring his name up but I think goaltending is just so much voodoo that it's not like reliable from from game to game and like you can win a series without amazing goaltending or a random goaltender like Yaroslav Halak can all of a sudden just go off for a series and win you win you a series if you truly do think that Corpusalo is the goaltender of the future and he's been performing pretty well this season like and Bobrovsky's having a big down year and if Florida's gonna trade you a king's ransom for for Bobrovsky for some reason that that makes no sense to me but if they're willing to do it yeah, why not trade Borowski, keep Panera, and see what kind of run you can go on with Corpasalo?
0: Yeah, I would agree with that, and uh, you know, not saying this is right, but I think there would definitely be a large majority of people out there that would point out that it's not like Bobrovsky has been a god in the playoffs anyway. So I think it's definitely a too small of a sample size to truly judge that. But it's not like you can say uh, you're trading away a guy who is quote unquote clutch in the playoffs.
1: He's kind of got that Marc-Andre Fleury, like, you know, uh, disappears in the playoff tag attached to him, and it's not going to go away until he steals a few rounds.
0: Yeah. Um, Okay, let's switch to the West here. Uh, We can take a look at some of the top names on the trade board if we have some time at the end, but I did want to get into the West. Uh, I'm going to skip the Jets and the Predators because I think their name will come up when we talk about big guys to acquire. St. Louis has been on quite the run, huh?
1: Yeah, it's funny. Remember when they were going to trade away uh, Angelo Tarasenko, and Pareko?
0: Yep, their whole team. Everyone was gone. Um, I'm I'm happy to see this. Uh, I, I
1: mean, was... I'm not. As someone who just watched them destroy my team in the first <laughs> period the other day. But, yeah, no, they've been on quite the roll, and it's sustainable. It's not like they're just riding a high PDO. They're dominating shots, dominating chances. Ryan O'Reilly and Tarasenko are frightening on that top line. They're, they have defensemen who can move the puck. Their forecheck is incredible. This is a team that looks like you could do some damage in the playoffs. Yeah, this
0: is a team that I... If they draw one, and it looks like they will draw one of Nashville or Winnipeg now, it will be a very, very interesting first-round series. I think everyone has just kind of assumed that we're going to see Nashville and Winnipeg in round two again, and I would kind of say rightfully so for most of the year, because these guys weren't... They, they looked like they were going to be a lottery team for a little bit. And these guys, uh, Jordan Binghamton, out of all people, have just come out of nowhere and... Uh, Taking this team to a new height, Uh, we talked about it all year, I feel like, that this team will be really, really good, but the X factor is Jake Allen, and...
1: Yeah, I never thought he was that good, to be honest. I don't get why they put so much faith in him. I thought they should have been looking throughout the summer to acquire a goalie, and it's funny, the goalie that they gave up, uh, Carter Hutton, who's now playing in Buffalo, I would have much rather had him as my netminder than Jake Allen coming into the season, so... It's great that this Jordan Bennington has is, is come out and is doing his best Hamburglar impression because goaltending was always the area that concerned me in St. Louis. So it's nice to see this guy, uh, you know, taking the reins and doing something with it. I'm wondering if maybe you could even look into acquiring a goaltender, if that's maybe the position where you go, hmm, we're not our most certain right now. What's the price on a Sergei Bobrovsky? You know, what's the price on a Ryan Miller?
0: Jimmy Howard's another one I think that would be pretty interesting as well. If Detroit wants to move him, I think... There's a Ryan Miller one somewhere. I, I think St. Louis was actually rumored to Ryan Miller. Uh, I think San Jose I saw that Oh, no, sorry, it was San Jose. Yeah, it was San Jose. So, yeah, and uh, that might get done uh, but by the time the podcast is out, possibly. But, yeah, like, uh, I think if the the price is too high on Bobrovsky and you don't want to do that, and that's understandable, I think. Uh, Jimmy Howard in Detroit is someone I would definitely look at. He's never been, like, elite necessarily, but he's always just been pretty good. And... For this team, I think pretty good, especially you know if you can go with him and Jordan Bennington. I think that's okay. You know they got the forward, the forwards up front. They got a pretty solid defense core. If you can get a guy like Howard that you know is going to be a steady starter, I think this team could look real good and be a real tough draw for someone in the playoffs. And I think this could be
1: a good landing spot for Matt Duchesne. It's tough trying to find a team that really needs centers. That's also a legitimate contender, because typically the best teams in the league have great center depth, but St. Louis is the rare example where, you know, Tyler Bozak's their second-line center, Oscar Sunkist is their third-line center. If you can bump each of those guys down a spot, all of a sudden you're looking at some really solid center depth, so I could see that being a nice place for him.
0: Yeah, for sure. And then, so I guess I'm going to skip Calgary and San Jose, and Vegas for that point, too, just for now anyways. The wildcard race has been quite something to watch in the West. So, we talked about earlier the Charlie Coyle trade. The Minnesota Wild currently hold the second wild card spot with 60 points. Right behind them is Colorado, Arizona, Chicago, and Vancouver, all tied with 59 points. I think Chicago is winning right now, so by the time this is out, Chicago's probably going to be in the second wild card spot. And Anaheim's right there with 57 as well. This has just been an insane race, and... The best part quote, about unquote, right, yes, these
1: are all bad
0: teams. <laughs> so I'm gonna I pulled up a uh, quote here, uh, a tweet here from Mark Lazarus of the Athletic, and it was the this was last night after the last night or the night before I believe after the the Hawks beat the Sens, and it was last ten games within the Western Conference, and it was pretty much the wildcard teams: Minnesota, one six and three, Colorado two five and three, Chicago eight and two. Vancouver 3-6-1, Arizona 3-6-3, I don't know why he had 12 games for that one, but uh, Anaheim 3-7, and seven. Edmonton 1-7-2, and, and LA 4-4-2. Four, four,
1: oh man, they're just sprinting to the finish line, aren't they?
0: <laughs> this is the tortoise versus the tortoise versus the tortoise versus the tortoise versus the tortoise.
1: And I'm wondering which one of them tricks themselves into thinking that they're a legitimate contender and, and buys heavy, because, I mean, Vancouver should be looking to rebuild... Chicago should be, you know, trying to help out their draft pick and and really make things better for next year. Same with Arizona. They should be looking to rebuild. I don't know which one of these teams does it, but, but someone's going to buy here when they shouldn't, and it's going to be regrettable within a year.
0: I think it might be Chicago. You look at the other teams, so Minnesota, as we said, they already kind of look like they're going to be sellers. I don't get the buyer vibe from them. Colorado maybe add some depth scoring, but I, again, I don't really get the sense that they're too keen on buying because I think, you know, they, it feels like this team knows that if they sneak into the playoffs, they'll probably get blown out in round one. Uh, Arizona, I could see buying. I don't know how big, but, you know, this Arizona team, is it's kind of impressive they're hanging around. I know we said the record before, you know, so maybe it's not quite as impressive, but you look at the injuries on Arizona. You kind of wonder how they're even close to contending for a, a playoff spot.
1: Yeah, it's easy to make fun of them, but I'm actually surprised they're as close to this race as they are, considering how many other players have been hurt, especially Antiranta, who's their best player.
0: Yeah, so I'm just on their injured reserve right now. They have 24 million dollars in injured reserve now. Five point five of that is Dave Bolin, and five point two of that is Marion Hosa. After that, I was you... gonna say, is any of it Pavel Datsuk? <laughs> uh, yeah. After that, you got Jason Demers, who's a. Top four defensemen I think he's been playing for them this year. and just You a, could
1: argue that he's been a top pairing defenseman yeah, for them. Yeah,
0: just a solid player all around. Antti Ranta, their starting goaltender. Michael Grabner, a top nine forward. Nick Schmaltz, another top nine forward. And then Christian Dvorak's on long-term injury as well. Again, another, you know, middle six guy probably. And I believe they just got someone back if I'm not... Maybe maybe I'm wrong about that. I feel like they just got someone back as well. Hinostróza, I think, was out for a little while. So it's kind of amazing that this team was even close to contending for playoffs. And I don't, again, I'm not sure they're going to buy, but it, I could see them trying to maybe make a little move to, to give them their fans something for sticking around for so long through this, I, uh, bit of a tire spree build.
1: I could see that when you look at their blue line, when they're healthy, they have weirdly one of the best blue lines in the NHL. It's just like a nice, like one through six, you have good players If you get a chance to watch Nicholas Jalmerson play, he's just the perfect defensive defenseman. He's not a a game-changer offensively or anything, but it just makes sense when you watch him play. This guy allows nothing defensively, and then when you look up his shot map when he's on the ice, it's just like a pool of blue in front of his own net. The dude never gives up any scoring chances. He's just so good defensively. And then you have Ekman Larson, you have Goligoski, Jacob Chikrin just signed a new deal, and then, like we said, Jason Demers, when he's healthy, top-pairing, top-four quality
0: defenseman. They have a nice blue line, so if they're looking to add, you, you got to think it's up front for sure. And I mean, even when they are healthy, I think scoring depth is the biggest concern for this team. I don't. I'm not I'm trying to think of some names for them. I'm not really sure I can come up with one. But then again, I, th- I feel like at the deadline, there's always two or three names where you go, "Oh, why were or they were available?" And maybe Arizona's one of the teams that kind of grab one of those guys where you don't really think that they're going to be available, and it, it's just a solid depth addition that gives them some scoring.
1: So what I find far more interesting is, what do you think Ottawa is going to do at the deadline? I know that a lot of your listeners are Ottawa Senators fans, and we've talked about all the teams that are going to be buying, but Ottawa is clearly a selling team, and there aren't too many times where you're really interested in other selling teams around the league, but they're just such a train wreck, and when you look at the the Matt Duchesne and the Mark Stone situation, and now even someone like Ryan Dezingle, do you think that all three players get traded before the deadline on the 25th?
0: I would... Yeah, it wouldn't shock me. So, Duchesne is pretty much a given that he's gone. They've already announced that they're sitting him Thursday. I think that's a smart thing to do, too. You don't want him getting injured when you well, know you trading maybe he just him. shit his pants. You never know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Pull an Artemi Panarin. Um, so, right now, if we're on the TSN trade bait list, Dushane is first, Mark Stone is third, and Ryan DeSingle is ninth on the list. I think
1: I, it's based on likelihood of being traded, you know? Like, yeah. that plays into it a
0: bit. Duchesne, I think, definitely is gone. Or, oh, he is gone. I that's obvious. DeSingle, there hasn't been any talks of contracts with him either. I think they're going to sell him. And to be honest, I think those two guys are probably the right uh, choice if you want to rebuild. I think, I've, I've said this a couple times on Twitter and on the podcast, Matt Duchesne, I think, is going to get overpaid this summer. He's an amazing player. However, I think he still is overrated at times. Uh, a lot of people, I think, would still probably have him closer to like, the 15th best center instead of the 30th, and I would I'm put not him, even
1: sure if I'd have him that high, honestly. Like,
0: he's one of those guys, he kind of reminds me of what Kyle Turris was for so long in Ottawa, where he's... Yeah,
1: I didn't get the trade, because it's funny, I understood the trade if you weren't giving away Kyle Turris. Like, yeah, you obviously want to bring in Matt Duchesne, but you're giving
0: up all those assets to upgrade from Turris to Duchesne? I, I thought it was more of a lateral move. Yeah, it was at very... Yeah, it was a marginal move, at, at very least. And, I mean, just imagine how much better this team would look, even, even without the first-round pick, if they would have kept and traded him to Nashville for Kamenev and Gerard. I think that te- the team would at least be looking a little bit better. I'm not sold on Gerard being, you know, anything as special as maybe people thought he, w- he was originally, but he still He's looks still
1: my boy. I still he, root for that
0: guy. He still looks like he could be a solid top four defenseman, and Ottawa needs that. Like. Um,
1: and And also they would have been able to keep their pick, which uh, would be somewhat helpful this year. Yeah. I
0: mean, even, you know, even if they would have, so I I guess I think Nash or Colorado, if I'm remembering this correctly, did want a quote unquote top four defenseman. And the rumor was they wanted Cody CC, which not, not a top four defenseman, but if you want to think of him as that, I think that's who Ottawa should have traded. Uh, I mean, he could still be traded at this year's deadline. Yes, and we'll get into that in a second. And it's just, yeah, I don't know. I think Ottawa's uh, situation would at least look marginally better if you didn't give up all that and Kyle Turris for Matt Duchesne. Uh, When it comes to Ryan Dezingle, he's kind of having a career year. He still doesn't drive play. Ryan Dezingle is one of those guys where I think you kind of need to rely on an eye test more than advanced statistics. He's a perfect third best player on the line, if that makes sense. He's not going to drive his own line, but he can slot anywhere from first, second, or third line, and he'll put, provide you with some scoring. He's got a ton of speed. You know, he uses that speed to create chances, but I do think that he he's another guy who could possibly get overpaid this summer. He's, he's 26. He's on a career year. He's got 22 goals already. He's making 1.8 this year. I think you could probably get a solid return for him in terms of what the contract uh, someone's going to give him this summer.
1: Are you thinking, like, a second-round pick, maybe?
0: Yeah, I, I think Friedman went on the other week, and he was saying, forget the player he said, or Grabner maybe it was last year, he said Grabner got a second, a fourth, and a, a low prospect. He said he would expect zingle to bring that back, maybe a little that more. That would be great. I mean, I love the idea of bringing
1: in multiple assets, knowing what we know about draft pick value, yeah. that after about, you know, pick 25, pick 30, it really tails off. So you can get, like, a second, a fifth, maybe even, like, a seventh or something like that, like,
0: it just gives you more chances at maybe getting a good player later in the draft. Exactly. And it's kind of the thing where, um, I, I know, you know, not everyone agrees with this, but if you have the choice of say two seconds, a third, and a sixth, do you take that over a late first? Yeah, I I probably time. would. Yeah. Like and I'm again, not everyone agrees with that, but I would. I think, you know, you look at draft pick value and it shows, you know, the chance of getting a star really evens out after you know by the time you get to the late first the difference between that and a third round pick really isn't uh crazy in terms of past results so I, and then Mark Stone is the I I think Mark Stone moves I I don't I don't see Ottawa giving him the contract he deserves and but here's
1: the thing I don't think you can really overpay Mark Stone when it comes to his actual on-ice value he's so underrated around the league
0: that's the problem I just I don't see Melnick wanting to... if he Let's put it this way. If he's not willing to give Eric Carlson that money, I can't see why he's willing to give Mark Stone a little less of that money, right? I mean, if
1: you gave Mark Stone, what, eight years, $10 million, I think that would still be underpaying him for the player he is on the ice. He's and, basically Patrice Bergeron. He's amazing. Oh, yeah.
0: Like, I, people still think it's an insanely hot take to say he's a top five winger in the league, and I would put him... Probably on the borderline of top ten players in the league. Not let alone. I think winners. he should win
1: the Selkie trophy this oh, year. Oh,
0: for sure. I and I wanted to get writing about this sometime. I'm not sure if I will in the in the next couple of weeks, but he definitely should be a, a, a look at a Selkie winner. He's just he's so amazing at all three areas of the ice. His his hand eye is unbelievable. the only person I've seen come close to just being able to turn a puck over like he does on any pass is Austin Matthews. And I mean, I feel like if you're comparing a player to Austin Matthews in any way, that's probably a good thing for the player.
1: I think he's way better defensively than Austin Matthews, and obviously nowhere like near as good offensively when it comes to generating like scoring chances or goals, but you know who I want to see Mark Stone play for this year? Who? The Carolina Hurricanes.
0: <laughs> that would be quite the thing to see.
1: I mean, like when he's on the ice, they just they control, what, 70% of the shots and chances? Yeah, like...
0: I mean he's I think he's still at 53% right now with Ottawa and Ottawa as a team I think is at 46 so I
1: was going to say his relative numbers are insane. It kind of reminds me of uh,
0: Elias Petterson's like uh goal relative numbers. Yeah, and it's just I don't I I could probably talk for Mark Stone I uh, say nothing but good things about Mark Stone for about 50 minutes but we should probably move on. I guess let's go quickly to Cody Cc, and then we can look at maybe a couple other of the big names that are going to move this deadline. Cody CC is a very interesting one to me. Uh, the rumor from Dragger was, and again, trust what you want from Dragger, but the rumor was that someone said they wouldn't be surprised if they also moved on from Cody CC because they don't look like the look of the next contract. And I feel like they probably meant money wise, but just in cap hit, no one should like the look of Cody CC's next contract. Uh, <laughs> I, don't, I just don't know what this team does if you sell Dushane, Stone, Dezingle, and CeCe. I mean, the assets coming back will be insane. How does this team hit the floor next year if they're not also willing to take on bad money like we suggested earlier?
1: Well, I mean, they're going to have to in, in some way or another. I don't know if it's going to be with uh, the, the Robida Island Patrick Marlowe contract after he mysteriously retires after his bonus kicks in on July 1st or... Uh, the Nikita Zaitsev trade, which I keep recommending. But it's funny, with uh, with Cody Ceci, the time to trade him would have been a year or two ago when three, his value was three, ridiculously high for no reason.
0: Three years ago, yeah. I mean, yeah. there was talks about uh, him being one-for-one for, one for Jonathan Drewen Or one-for-one like one for, one for Taylor there. Hall, yep. And it's just, uh, he's obviously not going to be... Uh, anywhere near that, it blows my mind that there's, there's like people who say that there's probably still four or five teams who are generally interested in Cody CC, the Tampa Bay Lightning being one of them.
1: Like, it, uh, <sighs> I personally, I I don't understand it. But if you're Ottawa, I mean, you can probably get some decent assets for them. I know you're worried about hitting the cap floor, but if you can get out of whatever this next Cody CC contract is going to be, I think it's going to help you in the long term.
0: Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I would really want to just see some team who. Say they need $10 million to hit the cap floor, just give like $8 million to some third-line player for one year.
1: That's what I, we all <laughs> did in NHL 19 when we were rebuilding, you know, yeah. like we'd, we'd sign some no-name guy to tell us, tank. we'd give him a one-year max contract for $15 million to help us hit the cap floor.
0: Yeah, and again, obviously that'll never happen, I just think that would be kind of funny. Um, okay, another team, let's go Wayne Simmons real quick. He's fourth- I was about to say, can we talk about individual players? Because I'm curious about your thoughts on Wayne Simmons. So I think some team is definitely going to overpay for him. Um, He's just not quite the player that uh, I think a lot of people still think that he is, you know? I
1: don't think he's anywhere near the player a lot of people think he is. No,
0: like, he's not a top 6 forward at this point, is he?
1: Especially when it comes to driving play. He's kind of like in that Ryan Dezingle mold. Like, he needs to be the third best player on his line. And if you have two guys who are incredible at driving play and, you know, transitioning the puck into the offensive zone and making passes to the slot he can go to the front of the net and he can bury some pucks home for you and he can play on your second unit power play as the net front. But he's not that first-line caliber power forward who's going to drill people on the forecheck and dominate the other team when he's on the ice and drive them crazy. He's just, unfortunately, age has caught up with him. I don't want to say it's to the Milan Lucic degree, but when you have players who play that style of play into their late 20s, they start to age really fast. It's unfortunate. I feel bad for him. I've always been a huge Wayne Simmons fan but I don't think he's the player he was two
0: or three years ago. Yeah, and I would agree with that. And to the, the M- Milan Lucic point, uh, earlier this year, I was saying I could see some team repeating the Milan Lucic contract with Wayne Simmons. He's 30 years old, which I think is already older than Lucic is, so it's not like he aged quite as poorly. But at the same time, like it's, just, it's clear that he's declining. And again, when you play that physical uh, type of play, you're going to keep declining just as fast. And I, I just... If you could get him at a reasonable price, I think a couple teams could probably still benefit from him as a depth forward and then maybe a guy in front of the net on the power play, but I I doubt the price is going to be reasonable for what he realistically brings to your team, and any team looking to extend him this summer I think really needs to proceed with caution.
1: I just think you could get a much more effective player, even if it's not necessarily in the same areas,
0: with someone like Zuccarello or Nyquist or... Michael Furlan. Uh, if they're selling. I was going to say, Michael Furlan for me, is a better player than Wayne Simmons and probably goes for
1: a cheaper price, considering he doesn't have the same name brand that uh, that Wayne Simmons does, but even with Michael Furland, I'd, I'd be a bit cautious because I feel like he's riding a hot shooting percentage and... He's not actually driving play that well, but I guess you're not bringing him in to drive play. You're bringing him in to be that third best player on the line who can win puck battles, go to the net, and score. And it's funny, we talk about shot metrics all the time, but at the end of the day, you need to put the puck in the net. Michael Furlan's a player who can put the puck in the net. Uh, if you're Carolina, are you looking to trade him?
0: I wouldn't want to. I can understand not really wanting to lose him for nothing, given the trade this summer, but same, but like, you're one point out of the playoff spot right now. The team you're chasing is the Columbus Blue Jackets, who might be giving up their, the, one of the best players in the league, and also Sergei Bobrovsky, who is a phenomenal goalie most years, even though he's struggled a bit this year. Do you, maybe you just keep him as one of those, you know, uh, as you were saying, it, they could really use this type of player. It's kind of your, your own rental, in, in a way, and you still work at a contract, and if it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. But you know, I think Michael Furlan uh, could be the difference for Carolina anyways of making or missing the playoffs if they only miss by one point.
1: Yeah, and then you definitely don't re-sign him because I think which other team signs him this offseason isn't going to get what they paid for, much like whoever pays Wayne Simmons this offseason probably isn't going to get what they paid for. But in, in Carolina, you're just dying for players who can actually score goals, much like they're dying for a goaltender who can actually make a save. And whatever Michael Furland isn't when it comes to driving play, he's definitely a guy who can give you 20 goals every year, so that has like, real value in Carolina, because they're good at every other area of the game.
0: They struggle putting the puck in the net, and he's been one of the few guys who can do it for them this year. Yeah, I would definitely uh, definitely agree with that. I'm just trying to look at some of the other names on the trade board here. I guess the the big two that we've kind of brought up a couple times is guys from New York, Kevin Hayes and Matt Zuccarello. They're 6-7. and seven. Do you see them moving this year or no?
1: New York is an interesting team, like the Rangers, because they told us last year that they were going to be rebuilding, that you know, the they, they were trying to do everything to get the team going in the right direction. And then they haven't really made any major moves since. Uh, they bought Adam McQuaid earlier in the year, which I thought was bizarre. <laughs> but apparently they're looking to sell him again. And Bob McKenzie was saying something, or maybe it was Drager, that they're probably going to get whatever it is they paid for him, and then maybe more. So... Okay, maybe it was half decent asset management, but if they don't trade, you know, Hayes, Zuccarello, uh, I know Chris Kreider's name's out there, then I'm just, I'm curious what they're doing at this point. I feel like they almost have to sell the guys that they're not going to re-sign, and as much as I love Matt Zuccarello, is he a part of the long-term plans? Probably not. I mean, Kevin Hayes, it's a different story. He's 26. In theory, you could convince yourself that, that he's someone that you might want to re-sign and make part of the long-term plans, and Chris Kreider's got another year on his deal. So if you're trading him now, you better be getting a lot for him. So it's a tough situation to be in. But I'd be selling, I'd be selling all the pending UFAs if I was New York. Just, you know, really hit reset on the rebuild.
0: Yeah, I would too. And I think it definitely, uh, you have to really take a hard look at your team and ask yourself, okay, how close are we? I don't think New York has the high-end talent going forward to truly uh, be a cup contender. You know, like they obviously haven't done what a team like Toronto did. Um, like a, a team, what, uh, who else, uh, Chicago did years ago where they, they, they bottomed out to get that high end talent. They need to do that yet. I think, and, and uh, re-signing your 26 to 32 year old players just isn't the way to do that. I think if you're looking at this team right now, guys who are going to stay through this rebuild, Mika Zibanejad is definitely one of them. Outside of that on the forwards, I mean, maybe Chris Grider, uh, But and then you got the young guys, obviously, but you know, on the back end you got Kevin Shattenkirk at thirty, Mark Stahl at thirty-two, Brady Shea at twenty four, Brendan Smith at thirty, all under contract for two more two or more years after this. I definitely think you should be looking to sell some of the guys you can because uh, I don't I just don't see this team having the high end they have some nice pieces, I just don't see this team having the high end talent to truly be a cup contender in two or three years right now. And
1: is Nemestik- another name that they could be looking to let go of because he has another year uh, after this year, and he's going to be an unrestricted free agent after that. So they definitely have some decisions to make. Uh, I've got a question for you. Who do you think is going to be the biggest name that gets traded who is like off the radar in terms of he's not in the top 10 on TSN's trade bait? It's not guaranteed that he's going to be traded, but do you think we see someone like Brett Pesci moved, or someone who just no one's talking about right now?
0: Oh, that's a good question. I'm trying to think... Just trying to run through names that I would. Jesse is...
1: Pullier RV in Edmonton.
0: Yeah, like Jonathan Huberto got brought up in a, a possible Dubrowski oh one. Would a...
1: well, that would be a very Florida Panthers kind of.
0: Yeah, crazy. and the one the other day that got brought up was Alexander Wendberg in Columbus being a quote unquote cap dump if they tried to go for a guy like Stone or Duchesne, and I kind of went, "Wait, when did Wendberg become bad that he's a cap dump?"
1: Talk, talk about selling low you know what I mean like, <laughs> yeah that would be the worst time to trade a player
0: exactly and I, I feel like we see that so often in uh in the NHL where it's just like the, a player is one down year and instead of just waiting to to see if he rebounds the team just goes okay we're gonna cut our losses and sell him his lowest point and then kind of wonder why they got ripped off in the trade when the guy suddenly rebounds to the point where he was for the pre- previous two or three years
1: yeah uh, I mean he did have a bit of a a, a rough year, the year before, but like he, he has what two goals this season, and I don't think any of them are at even strength. So, yeah, I'd be trying to rehabilitate his value before I traded him if I was thinking about trading him. But I mean, I guess a lot of times NHL teams they'll trade a player at his lowest value and then sign him when he's at his highest value, and then they wonder how they get into you know cap struggles. That's how it happens.
0: That is an incredibly uh, NHL thing to do. Uh, other than that, I mean. Again, not a really big name, but off the radar. I think Andre Burakovsky could move out of Washington. Uh, we, you know, for it just they haven't been happy with his play, and uh, I could definitely see them moving him somewhere else, trying to get him a fresh start. Maybe definitely not just selling him for picks, I don't think, but trying to maybe look for a, a bit of a roster player, maybe even an upgrade if you toss another asset on the way back.
1: Um, this might be wishful thinking on my point, but uh, I'm wondering just like in terms of coming out of left field, I'm wondering if Nikita Zaitsev gets traded at the deadline, just in, in, in regards to the fact that I'm wondering if Cal Dubas wants to do something to shake up this team. And I know that Zaitsev has value around the league. I know that hockey Twitter hates him and thinks he's terrible. And personally, I would agree with that sentiment. But I think that 200 hockey men value him for the same reasons that Mike Babcock Mike Babcock does. And for that reason, I wouldn't be completely shocked if we saw him traded on February 25th. I'll, I'll probably be wrong, but if it happens, I'm just going to say, hey, they're... they're, they're I I, I thought this was a non-zero chance of this happening.
0: Yeah, I could see that. Uh, The other... If he doesn't get moved at the deadline, I do actually find it hard to believe he's uh, starting with the Toronto Maple Leafs next year.
1: Yeah, I think it's either at the deadline or at the draft where he gets traded, because he has a a limited no-trade clause that kicks in in July 1st, so I have to think he'll be moved before
0: that. I would agree with that, and I just... Yeah, like, he's one of those contracts that Toronto's going to be, obviously, real tight against the cap next year, and then They'll be a little bit better the year after that, but you know they're going to be real close to the cap for the next for the foreseeable future. And, and that was one of the the big misses, I think, on Lou Morello's part. I definitely think he did some good and, and uh, some bad. I know you had a podcast kind of talking about the the Toronto rebuild and who should get credit and what went wrong. And the Zaitsev one for me was just definitely wrong. I, I think they rushed into the contract. They gave him way too long and. I guess they were just kind of bet that he was going to grow a little more, but I think he was, what, 20, 25, 26 when he signed it? And
1: Yeah, but he'd only played one year in the league, and he hadn't even really played that when they doled out the uh, the, the details on the contract. I know that it was leaked about partway through the year.
0: Yeah, and just... But Seven like,
1: years after half a year of performance, you really want to commit to a guy that fast?
0: At an age where you know he's not going to get too, too much better skill-wise, you know, like... Yeah, I don't. That was yeah. I, I think that's a contract we could see moved. I, I would be very interested to see how they move it. Uh, I definitely think they could get a little bit of value. I don't know how much value, but I don't think I'm on your side here, where I don't think they have to give up an asset to get rid of a Nikita Zaitsev contract at the moment.
1: But, yeah, I have a ten dollar bet with a drag like pull on no. hockey Twitter, and uh, the the it, loser has to donate to charity. But basically, he thinks that the Leafs have to trade Zaitsev at negative value. And I think they can get some kind of positive value for him. Even if it's like a conditional sixth, I think that they can get positive assets for him. So we'll see what happens.
0: Yeah, and I think the key with that would be doing it now or in the summer maybe, but doing it before teams really start to realize, oh, okay, this guy's not a good player or not a great player. You know, this guy's overpaid. Do it before you have to actually give something up. If there's teams who still see value in him, get the value for him.
1: Or maybe he scores a, a game-winning goal in overtime, and all of a sudden he's the, the big name that everybody wants. And he's a clutch
0: playoff. Exactly. Um, Yeah, it definitely could bounce either way. Uh, with that, I think we should probably wrap it up. We're almost at the hour mark. I think we pretty much hit everything we need to.
1: Yeah, I was just going to ask you, who do you think is the funniest trade uh, that the player gets traded in terms
0: of you just look at the deal and you immediately laugh when you see the tweet? Just like who I think is going, going to be?
1: Oh, just like the trade that you see, where you see the tweet, like you see Wayne Simmons to Edmonton for a first-round pick, and you burst out laughing.
0: Yeah, that... Cody CeCe to anything for any big, big <laughs> value. Assets. Yeah, like, uh, Bro- Bobrovsky to, I think Bobrovsky to Florida would probably be mine. It's
1: been rumored for so long, but man, if it actually happens. <laughs> it, ju-
0: it would just be bad on so many levels. Like, I don't think you should be giving assets up necessarily to go and sign a 30-year-old gold gender to a bad contract, but also be giving assets up on top of that. Uh,
1: Luke Glendening to Toronto.
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, Adam McCoy to Toronto. I think I'd get hey, a, both a, of them yeah. at the same time. Uh, yeah, I would get a good uh, good laugh out of either one of those. Um, Ian, thanks for thanks for coming on. Uh, plug some stuff. Where can people find you? Oh yeah, no, thanks. Appreciate it. Uh, you can read my stuff
1: at The Athletic. I do a weekly column there every Saturday, and I'm doing the Leafs report cards. I'm splitting them with Dom Lushishin. Uh He gets the bad games. I get the good games. That's how we've divided it up. And uh, <laughs> So that wasn't by uh that wasn't our decision. It's just we we looked at the numbers. When when he has the team, they tend to get outshot and outchanced. When I do their games, they're at like a fifty-five percent shot and scoring chance differential. So I just I'm a good luck charm for whatever reason. I don't know why, but the Leafs seem to play better when I'm doing the game. So if you see that Ian Tulloch is is done the Leafs report cards, you know to give it a click. And if you see that Dom L has done it, you know to not give it a click. But uh, I also do the Leafs Geeks podcast, which you can listen to. Wherever you downloaded this podcast, you know, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, etc. And I talk about nerdy leaf stuff, but I also talk, try to talk about some more uh, big, broad concepts around the league. So appreciate you having me on, Alex. I was just lying around on the couch, randomly uh, slid into my DMs. You're like, hey, man, you'd be down to record a podcast? I said, yeah, it will be fun. Sounds great. Let's do it.
0: Yeah, thank you for helping me out. I know it was uh, super short notice tonight, but uh, I appreciate it. I hope everyone else enjoyed And, uh, yeah, we'll have to have you on again when Chase is here sometime as well. I was going to say, next time Totally Offside
1: is uh, Busy Doing Something, I'll see if I can uh, sub in for him. (laughs) Yeah,
0: for sure. Uh, Thanks, Ian. Anytime. Uh, Huge thanks to Ian for joining the podcast today. Uh, Chase was just a little busy. Uh, We will have a podcast hopefully out next Tuesday as well, where we plan on recording right on trade deadline night so we can analyze all the trades that happen right away. As always, you can find my stuff on Twitter at NHL and Stuff and at LastWordOnHockey.com. Find Chase on Twitter at CMHockey66, and we will see you guys next week. Thanks for listening.